Good morning, everyone. Why don't you turn to someone and tell them where you were when you discovered somebody broke the internet? <laughs> tell them. Go ahead. Tell them where you were. Where were you when you found out that someone switched off the internet? Well, uh, a few things before I dive in this morning. Um, one of them is that our family is just over a week away from heading off to Asia again to Indonesia. And uh, this week has been a bit of a crazy week. Our house is upside down. So the suitcases are out again. And uh, there's grief, of course. Um, but there's also a sense of incredible excitement um, we've watched as God has done so much in our family's life over the last two years, as I'm sure he's done in yours. And um, he's not just restored what we lost, but he's just given us a renewed vision and heart for his work. And so we're excited, and I'm, I'm here to say to you today, there is nothing more thrilling than being caught up in what God's doing. There is nothing more thrilling and satisfying than stepping out in faith, and following Him. And it looks different in every season, but He is the same in every season. And those songs this morning were just so spot on for what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart to bring to this church, to this family. But I also just want to say that it's been a real honor to serve here over the last few months again, uh, after so many years. And uh, it's been an honor to serve with um, Pastor Mike, with the staff, with the elders, um, with Robin and the worship team, the fantastic worship team, it's just been such an honor for me to do that. And um, yeah, I'm really believing and praying that the Lord is bringing this church into a new season as well. Um, he has restored a lot individually, but also as a church. And I'm excited for the new season that IPC is stepping into. And um, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have come alongside us, who have encouraged us, loved us, cared for us, and are sending us off with your prayers and with your incredible support. Um, I even know there's some here today who came just because they love us and they want to say hi. So thank you for that. Um, we feel truly blessed and I look forward to what the Lord's going to do. Um, I'm going to dive in. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Acts chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 26, so you can grab your Bible and do that. If not, it will be on the screen. You can follow that uh, online as well on the screen. Um, this passage, this story is something that God has been bringing me back to for the last year. I can't seem to get away from this incredible story. And I didn't actually know that Pastor Mike was going to start a series on the disciples um, I'm not continuing that series today, but I am going to talk about one of them in particular, Philip, and you'll hear why in a second. So let's jump in with Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasure of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go near the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's jump to 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. What an incredible story. I'm sure if you grew up in the church, you know this story really well. Um, it's one that we um, have become really familiar with, and it's it's. In the book of Acts, which is just an incredible book full of the acts of the apostles. Um, and this morning, I want to highlight that this incredible story that I just read was caused by an unexpected turn. It's kind of like if you've ever gone flying, and we've flown a lot as a family, you're on the plane, and suddenly the plane turns. Have you ever been on a plane when it jolts to the left or dives to the right, and your stomach literally flips. And you may or may not scream. We won't ask for hands, but there is a shock factor when the trajectory of a plane suddenly shifts. And this story is actually placed after not just one unexpected turn, but a series of unexpected turns. Let's just back up for a minute and kind of take a look at what's leading up to this story of Philip and the Ethiopian. First of all, we know that Philip was a disciple called by Jesus. Philip gave his life to follow him, to learn from him, to serve alongside Jesus, and he followed Jesus all the way to the cross. The cross. The unexpected turn of unexpected turns. Even though Jesus talked about it, nobody saw it coming. And there, Philip is aware that the, the Savior of the world is hanging on a cross. What a turn of events. But then we know that Jesus comes back with a resurrected body, and he meets with the disciples, and for 40 days, he begins to teach them and strengthen them and encourage them, and he commissions them to go and do the work of the kingdom. And so in Acts 1, we see the incredible commission that the disciples would receive the Holy Spirit and they would go do the works that Jesus did. Acts chapter 2 to chapter 5, just a real sweeping overview. The disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to preach with boldness. They begin to share about Jesus. People start getting healed. Crowds start to come and listen and respond to the gospel. And it's this incredible growth of the church. The church is growing. The church is maturing. 
They're learning how to love each other. They're learning how to serve the needs of, of those around them. All of this is happening. And then Stephen is martyred. The authorities become angry and they grab him, drag him out of the city and they stone him. And what started as this incredible movement of growth and influence and impact is suddenly disrupted. There's a tragic death and there is a dispersion. Persecution broke, broke out. Christians were being dragged into jail. And so the Christians in Jerusalem spread out. Some go to Judea, some go to Samaria. There is a fleeing, disruption. The summary really, by the point of this Philip story and the Ethiopian eunuch, is unexpected turn after unexpected turn. Today I want to talk to you about being disruptable. That is not a word in the dictionary, I just made it up because I thought it was kind of a cool title for this morning. And you might think, being disruptable, how is that a good thing? Um, I don't know how that strikes you this morning, but I think if you're honest and you look back, not just over the last couple of years, but over the last several years, maybe your entire life, you'll see that disruption happens a lot. Now the dictionary, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary anyway, defines in, uh, disruption as a break or interruption in the normal cause of some activity or process. Let me read that again. Disruption, a break or interruption in the normal course of some activity or process. In everyday terms, things are going in this direction, you're like, yes, and then suddenly shift. A break, an interruption. And this morning, I want to talk to us and encourage us about how we deal with disruption and interruption. How do we deal with it? And how does God invite us to deal with it? It could be a, a major disruption. So um, the last two years have given us a real glimpse into what major disruption looks like. The pandemic is jolting. In some cases, it was devastating. For others, it was bitterly disappointing. We know that we can relate. Our family in 2020, in January, we were, we were just excited to get back to our country in Asia. Things were going so well, the best they had ever been. Our relationships were thriving. Open doors were flinging open in front of us. We were so ready to go back. And then suddenly, disruption. Why? God, why? What's happening? This is not the way it's supposed to be. Have you ever found yourself asking that of God? Why, God? Surely you saw where this was going. Why did it have to change? I think when major disruption happens, there's two things that we need to do. The first is that we don't minimize the real grief. You know, when Stephen was martyred outside of the city. It says that godly men took Stephen's body and they buried him and there was deep mourning. You know, some of us, we think that we need to be stoic when things get disrupted and we just give the very simple answer, oh, 
God is in control, it'll be fine. It's not that that's not true, it's that we don't do the journey of actually grieving the loss because disruption often triggers deep grief. And we need to grieve. We can't minimize the grief of disruption. That is God's way of bringing healing. And God wants to speak into your loss if you're still grieving the loss of disruption in the last two years. But as much as we can't minimize the grief and the loss, we should never underestimate what God does in major disruption. In Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 5, after persecution breaks out, after Stephen is buried and this death, this tragic death has taken place, and Christians have been flung into jail, what is the response of the Christians? Chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Jesus there. One minute we have disruption, this unexpected, devastating event. The next minute we see the gospel breaking out into a city that had been hostile towards the Jews. In other words, what seemed bleak, God was able to actually use to turn it into something actually incredible. The city of Samaria started to respond to the gospel because Christians had been forced out. In other words, sometimes disruption looks like the end game, and God flips it on its head, and He turns it into an incredible open door for new new outreach, new ministry, new people coming into the kingdom. It's, it's interesting to me that Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. But it wasn't until the disruption that the gospel goes out to Samaria. In other words, this disrupts me that what I often see as an interruption to my expectations of what God is doing is actually fully a part of God's grand plan, how great thou art. Amen? That is the picture of the cross. If there is ever a more beautiful, powerful image, is that when Jesus, the God-man hanging on the cross, it looks like all is over, it is only just the beginning. That is the gospel message. And this is the context of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I want to ask you a question Is our picture of God big enough to see Him at work even in disruptions, even in the scatterings, even when things seem to come to a bleak end? How big is your God? Disruption can be a major event or it could just be a simple, small, subtle interruption. Not too long ago, a friend came to my door. It was while I was doing my master's degree. I was working about 60 hours a week, staring at a computer screen. I was tired. I had very little in my tank. And there was a knock at the door, and I didn't want to answer the door. Have you ever been in that place before? 
And I, I knew who it was, and the Holy Spirit nudged me, and this particular time I listened, because I don't always listen. And I opened the door, and I invited this friend in, and for the next two hours, I realized that what seemed like an inconvenient interruption to me was God orchestrating an event in which I was able to encourage and bless this young man. A shift, a small shift in my trajectory had a bigger shift in his trajectory. And over the last year, I've seen this young man grow to be an incredible man of God. And he is now walking with the Lord and he is speaking into other people's lives. And it is an incredible thing that God can do with just a little bit of your time. But I admit this is not easy. You're probably thinking, yeah, that sounds great. That's awesome, Benj. You don't know how busy I am. <laughs> you don't know what it's like. Robin was sharing this morning about life in the fast lane. I feel like that is our perpetual reality. How are you doing, we say? Busy? Isn't that the first thing that comes out of most of our minds? I want to ask you another question. Do we give God permission to break in to our business as usual, to interrupt our schedule, my plans, our resources, and our expectations of what should happen? And if we have given God permission, here's another question. Do we notice when He actually does interrupt? Because I don't know about you, I've prayed that prayer many times. God, I just want to do what you want to do. Just lead me. And then things happen and they come as interruptions and disruptions. And I just want to kick them out of the way so I can keep going with what I'm doing. I am so bad at being interrupted. You just ask my wife. I'm like a dog with a bone. Maybe you're the same. So I want to jump back now to our story of Philip and the, in the, in the, uh, <clears throat> Philip and the Ethiopian. There's three invitations that hit me when I read this story. Three invitations that I believe the Holy Spirit has packed into this story. There's many more, I'm sure, but three that stick out to me that I just want to encourage you towards today. The first is this. Make room for interruption. Make room for interruption. Let's look at Philip. Let's do a reality check. What was going on with Philip when God interrupted? Philip was busy. We don't know for sure if Philip was still in Samaria when God interrupted with these instructions. Maybe things had exploded to such an extent that he was basically training and discipling uh, leaders to lead churches in Samaria. The gospel had grown so big. People were coming to Jesus in such vast numbers that, that Acts chapter 8 says there was great joy in the city. The city was being transformed. So Philip is incredibly busy. Or perhaps Philip was on his way back to Jerusalem with Peter and John. 
who had come up to help him. Things were going so well, they needed reinforcements. So maybe he was on the way back to Jerusalem preaching as he went, or he was in Samaria. We don't know for sure, but I'll tell you this. Philip was busy. And in the midst of the busyness, God breaks in and asks Philip to go to the desert road. Listen to the instructions in 8.26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. How busy is your life? Do you have any room left for God to interrupt you? How much room, how much margin is there? Are you at capacity that you don't even notice when God breaks in with an interruption? Or what about this? Is God allowed to interrupt something that you enjoy? (laughs) Ouch. I'm imagining if I'm Philip, we are seeing incredible fruit in Samaria. Remember, this is where the woman at the well Jesus met the woman at the well. This is where the disciples didn't want to go. This is the place that they never thought there would be a move of God, and they are coming out to hear the gospel. Things are going well. I can imagine Philip going, yes, people are listening to my my words. They are receiving it. Is God allowed to even interrupt what seems to you to be a fruitful and good thing? Because the second reality check is that God's interruption made no sense. It was nonsensical. Did you catch what it says? Go south to the, what? Desert. To the desert road. You imagine you're in a city seeing an incredible ministry flourish and God says, go to the desert. That doesn't make sense. God, why? Why would you suddenly pull me away? Surely you can see that what I'm doing here is really good. Man, do I relate to that. We were in Asia. God, this is, this is what we've been praying for. It's going so well. Now the door is closed. Why? This makes no sense. Have you ever written off something God is nudging you towards? simply because it made no sense. Or how about this? How attached are we to our way of how this should go? I should stay here, God. This is going really well for me. This is what I want. (laughs) How do we make room for that interruption? The other thing I want to give you a reality check on this morning is that God's instructions to Philip were also incomplete. If you look again, it says, Philip, go to the road. This road was 60 kilometers long. Go to the road. Go to the 401. I know what some of you are thinking because I think it too. I read scripture and I go, God, if you sent an angel to me and told me to do something, 100% I'm going to do it. 100%. No doubt, no questions in my mind, God, (laughs) send an angel. 
So, sure, Philip gets an angel, but here's the reality. God interrupts us, and when he interrupts us, he very rarely gives us the whole picture. Philip doesn't even know why. We know in hindsight there's going to be an Ethiopian eunuch, but Philip doesn't even know it's about a person. Maybe it's to go gather twigs, locusts. Maybe they're putting on a sweet spread later that night. He has no idea why, but God is about to position Philip. Wow. We may never know the why when we step out, but God is about to position us. Sometimes we can't see what God sees from the place that we are, that he has to move us to another place to be able to see what he sees, to be able to actually get involved with what he's doing. I don't know about how, how your ambigu- ambigu- uh, ambiguity tolerance, there we go. How is your ambiguity tolerance? I don't know about you, but 60 kilometers is a long way. Did God give him the next step on the first kilometer of the road, the 10th kilometer of the road? Did he wait till the 60th? Look at Philip and his trust. God said, go to the road. I will go. I am, I am in position. What is next? I think God really wants us to have that posture before him of saying, God, what's next? I'm here. I'm paying attention. You have my intention. I have made room for you to interrupt me. How much room did Philip give? 60 kilometers. That's not in a commentary. That's just, uh, that's bench. So, I don't know if you've ever used Kleenex, but Bree and I often talk about how God speaks to us is a lot like Kleenex. You have a Kleenex box and you take one out and in inevitably, every time you take one out, what happens? The next one pulls out with it, and you end up with three. And so you just kind of use a big mesh of tissue to wipe your nose. It's often the case with God. He gives us just the corner, and we pull, and then the next comes. Sometimes, not sometimes, often, God just wants your attention to know you're available to take that first step. You see, making room is about putting enough weight on God when he interrupts. It's about putting enough weight on that first thing he says when he grabs your attention. We can so easily miss it. The second key thing that I want to draw your attention to in this passage is that the invitation to get swept up in God's activity Get swept up in God's activity. But in order to do that, we first have to let him, let him interrupt our activity. Look at Acts 8:27. This is Philip's response. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. God said, "Go." Philip immediately went. No wasting time, no hesitation, he immediately went. He put weight on those simple nudges that God gave him. When God knocks, Philip is ready. His attitude is, God, your activity trumps my activity any day. Remember, Philip has walked with Jesus 
for quite some time, he has seen Jesus at work. So when he interrupts him, he's like, okay, hands up. Whatever you're up to, I want to get swept up in what you're doing. And if you look carefully, Luke, the author of Acts, writes this story in such a way that emphasizes how incredibly creative and surprising this activity of God is. On the way, just so happened, behold, the ESV says, look, surprise, there's an Ethiopian. Why? Why is it a surprise? Well, Ethiopia is nowhere near that desert road. The chances of finding an Ethiopian man, let alone an Ethiopian of such influence on that road, it's a shock, it's a surprise, but on the way, it just so happened, there is the Ethiopian. And it just so happened, he was searching, he'd been to Jerusalem to worship, he was someone who was trying to understand who is God, who is Yahweh. He was just so happened to ask the right question at the right time, and it just so happened that Philip was there when he was asking this question. Philip was able to speak to it, and as they were in the chariot, and as the Ethiopian man hears the good news about Jesus, they just so happened to see water. Where? In the desert. This story is this incredible story of God creating and weaving. Philip shouldn't have been there. The Ethiopian shouldn't have been there. But God sees it all and weaves it together by interrupting and bringing about this incredible and beautiful story. I just love the just so happens. I remember when I was 18 years old and... Uh, I was in Malta in, in, um, with my parents, and I was looking at going to university in England, and I was pretty excited about that, and all of a sudden, um, I bumped into this guy who was a Canadian guy, just so happened to be an alumni of a Bible school in Canada. That just so happened changed the trajectory of my life because I decided to go to Bible school for one year. It just so happened when I was at Bible school for one year that God absolutely grabbed a hold of my heart and He started to bring missionaries through the chapels. He started to teach me His Word and something lit on fire. And it just so happened that that year, a missionary from China came and started a TESOL program in our school. And it just so happened that I met my wife and we both had the same heart we got involved in that program, and it just so happened that four years later, the organization that we went overseas with came into our classroom and said, we want you guys to go and start a, a work here. The just so happens. God sweeping us up in what He's doing. Maybe you need to hear this morning that if you simply respond... To God's interruption, He will orchestrate. He will orchestrate. A couple of questions for you. Is something causing you to forfeit the great good that God wants to do in your life or through your life? Maybe it's fear of the unknown not being in control, 
Maybe it's distrust. I want you to just take a deep breath this morning. I've been talking at you for a little while. Just take a deep breath. And I just want you to focus your heart on God right now. Not as though we're talking about Him some way off in the distance, but as though He were here speaking with you. And I just want you in your own heart to say to Him, God, I'm so hungry to get swept up in what you're up to. And just ask Him in your own heart this morning, God, what do I need to do to be responsive when you knock? What's getting in the way for me? What's proving to be the obstacle? Am I procrastinating? Am I ignoring when you do knock? Show me, Holy Spirit. The third and last thing I want to draw out from this passage is an invitation to redefine success. I think we'll all admit that this story, which by the way, Luke gives just as much real estate in Acts to this story of Philip and the Ethiopian as he does to the entire city of Samaria coming to Christ. Well, not the entire, but many coming to Christ. Luke puts as much weight on both of these stories. And what really disrupts me is that this is great lengths for one man. This is great lengths, an elaborate series of events for one man. That is disrupting to me. I think it's probably more disrupting to those of us who live in a Western, success-driven culture than it might be for other cultures. But we go from a city being transformed to God pulling away Philip in the peak of his ministry to remove him to the desert for one man. The invitation that disrupts me is, what is your vision of success? And is my vision of success the same as God's vision? What is God really after? I think one of the reasons God has to interrupt us as often as he does is because of our perception of success. I mean, imagine Philip. Philip is probably thinking, God, this thing is thriving. Look at the numbers. Maybe he didn't think that way at all. I know that I would be measuring my view of what God's will is based on the impact. But God pulls Philip away and says, focus on this one. Just one. I know that for those of us who have studied Christian tradition probably know that this one Ethiopian eunuch goes on most likely to be the founder of the Ethiopian church that has existed for thousands of years and influenced many, 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 many people. But at this point in the story, Philip doesn't know that. It's just one. Just one. Leighton Ford, who was, um, he was a leader in the church and, and someone who wrote about mentorship and discipleship, tells a story about uh, evangelizing to a, uh, an inmate, someone in prison. And uh, this, this person in prison 
finally, after speaking with Leighton Ford, receives Jesus and accepts him as his Lord and Savior, and, and um, he, he's excited to start his new life with Jesus. And he turns around and looks at Leighton Ford and says to him, in case you get a li- your, your head gets a little bit too big, I want you to know you're number 25. And Leighton goes, what do you mean I'm number 25? He said, you're the 25th person to tell me about Jesus. It just finally sunk in now. Here is a disrupting question for us. Are we willing to do what Jesus did and leave the 99 for the one? Are we willing to let go of our view of success and fruitfulness because God has put one person in our circle that he wants us to sow into? And the other disrupting thing is, am I willing to be number 25? Because if you're anything like me, I want to have impact in the hundreds, in the thousands, and I want to be number one. That is the truth of the wrestle. But Jesus has grabbed a hold of Philip, and he trusts Philip, and he knows that Philip shares his heart. You see, Philip, Philip was the one who was there when someone reached out and interrupted Jesus and grabbed Jesus by the cloak and asked to be healed, and Jesus turned around and healed that woman. Philip was there when Jesus tried to get away, but crowds came around him and got hungry, and so he got interrupted and decided to perform one of the greatest miracles he's ever performed and fed thousands of people and multiplied food. Philip was there when Jesus zigzagged from one seeming interruption to the next, noticing people, individuals, the one along the way. Whether it was the tax collector, the blind man, the lame man, the wild man, the fisherman, the pleading father or the pleading mother, Jesus lived for his father's work. Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. What does it look like to make room? Philip learned it, not because he was some superman. Philip learned it because he spent time with Jesus. How good is our God that he would elaborately orchestrate all of that for one? Maybe you need to be unsettled this morning about that, or maybe you just need to know that you are that one. Maybe you've lost sight of the fact that in all of the chaos and the noise, Jesus sees you. I'm going to invite Robin to come up. But let's close our eyes. Father, we sense that you are here with us, that you are encouraging us. Encouraging us just by your goodness. Encouraging us just by your greatness. And we make room for you this morning. We just ask you to remove every distraction in our minds right now. God, I need to be reminded that you see me, that you notice me. And Lord, like the Ethiopian, you know what I'm searching for. 
You know what I need today. Help me to trust your heart for me. Help me to trust that you will orchestrate things, that you will work all things together for the good of those that you love. I am loved by you. Help me to believe how loved I am by you this morning. And Jesus, help us. Help us to notice the people around us like you did. Help us to make room for interruption like you did. And Jesus, we ask this morning, is there one person, just one, that you've put around me that I need to notice? Maybe someone I've been ignoring that feels like an inconvenience or an interruption. God, would you bring that person to mind? Who is the one you are after? Would you lead me to the desert road? Would you sweep me up in your activity? Thank you, Jesus.